I think, though. But other than that, uh, I have about 20 years on him. But uh, it's great to see you. My name is Ted. I have the privilege of being able to speak on occasion here at the bridge, which is certainly my honor. Let's pray. The words of that last song continue to ring in my mind, but also in my heart. And uh, I know with the distractions of life, um, sometimes it's hard to just pause and think and recognize the, the need to surrender. And so, Father, we, uh, would you join me in, in surrendering just now? Lord, the distractions of today, which might be many, would you help us just to set those aside for these next minutes? And we invite your Holy Spirit to come and speak and I thank you, Father, that you know each and every one of us. There's nothing about us that you do not know. That we are the object of your love and your attention and your care. And uh, I'm thinking of that verse from Revelation 3.20 where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and opens the door, I'll come in and be with him. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to hear now and not to ignore, but to open. And we invite you to come in. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you like Tess? I'm looking at the students right here. There's a whole row of them. And you're going, are you crazy? Uh, I'm sure you have a very strong opinion about this question about Tess. When I was attending school, I wasn't particularly fond of Tess. I usually did well on Tess, but I wasn't fond of Tess. And, uh, in fact, so much so that uh, after I graduated from university, I continued to have dreams about Tess. Anybody uh, join me there? Yeah. And uh, I think those dreams are called nightmares. <laughs> One of the tests I most dreaded as I studied engineering at the University of Utah was uh, this one class where there was a professor that would on occasion walk in and say, okay, today's a great day, we're gonna have a surprise test. All your notes and all your books get put away and we're gonna have a surprise test. He, he said this, I wanna see what you know and what you don't know, but more important, I want you to see what you know and you don't know. I still break out in a cold sweat 
thinking of those surprise tests. But isn't, isn't that kind of what life can be? Everything is going along fine, and then something out of the blue happens, a surprise test. And this type of test shows us where our heart and our dependence really lies. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, it reminds me of Genesis 22, and we're continuing our study in Genesis. Genesis 22, when we find Abraham being thrown into a surprise test. Uh, now let's little, do a review on Abraham. Uh, God called Abraham and his family to leave their home and to move to a place he was telling them to go, ultimately the land of Canaan. And God promised Abraham that one day he would not only have land, but he would have descendants to fill that land. And in fact, they would be a blessing, so much so that they would be a blessing to all of humankind. So that's God's promise to Abraham. And as we've been talking about his journey, we find that he sometimes was really stupid. Anybody been there? Yeah. So we can kind of connect with Abraham because he's not perfect, nor is he portrayed as being perfect in the Bible. He struggled, but along the way it says he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Last week in Genesis 21, uh, we, we find him in a better place because you see in order to have this promise of God fulfilled, he needed a son, an heir. And he and his wife, Sarah, try to move things along in the wrong way. And that turned into a mess. But then finally, finally, Abraham had a son of his own. Abraham and Sarah did. And do you remember his name? Isaac, that's right. Isaac. Life was beginning to be better. He had a son, an heir that God had talked about. He was moving forward, and he was enjoying that place that he was in with his wife and his cherished son. And then a surprise test, Genesis 22. Let's go there, Genesis 22, if you have your Bible. I'm going to read, first of all, the first eight verses. You'll find it up on the screen. It says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Wow. Surprise test. Next slide, please. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. 
And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out for the place God had called him, uh, told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Next slide. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Next slide. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And we'll pause right there. We are told in Genesis 22, verse 1, the very first verse of that section, that God initiated a test for Abraham. God initiated a surprise test when everything seemed to be going well. Now, I, I pondered this and thought, why would God need to test Abraham to find out something? Isn't God omniscient? Doesn't God already know everything? There was a, a similar situation in Genesis 19 when it says that the angels came down and they went to check out truly how bad Sodom was. Sodom and Gomorrah. But I don't think God had to know, send them to find out. I think God already knew. I believe here with Abraham and even earlier with Lot, uh, Abraham didn't know his own heart. Isaac, I mean Lot, excuse me, Lot and Sodom uh, didn't probably recognize the place to where he'd gone in compromise. And God tested them so that they would know their own heart. So this test in Genesis 22, I believe, is not a test for God to find out, but a test for Abraham to find out. Kind of like my professor, when he came into a surprise, gave us a surprise test, and he says, it's important that you know what you know and what you don't know. It was important for Abraham to know about his faith. Abraham, uh, probably looking back upon his life, was wondering, am I fully given over to God? Is my faith really real? Have any of you ever had that question? Am I really given over to God? Is my faith really real? What will I do in the midst of a surprise test? 
one of those that life can throw at you that's a lot bigger than what my professor could give me. And, and, and you remember that Abraham had some big league uh, failures and rebellions. There were times where fear and hopelessness were greater than his faith. Been there. Thus, this test was going to show him his faith. And it's interesting that this huge test that Abraham was going through was at a time, do you remember how old he was at this point in his life? He was 110 years old or so, maybe a little bit more. You think you would know. I'm 67. You think I would know. Life lesson, never stop learning. Never stop learning, never, never stop pursuing, uh, never stop growing. No matter how old you are, it's not a time to stop. But it's time perhaps to ask different questions in different ways. Inviting God to move, to, to change us, to pursue God more, to serve others in different ways. And this test for Abraham, at age 110, he ultimately lived to be 175. It was on the latter part of life. The test, I believe, was not run for God. It was run for Abraham. Now, uh, as we listen to this story from Genesis 22, I hope you had some stirrings in your gut in your heart. This was a difficult test. I can't begin to understand how hard this test was for Ab Abraham. He was put in a terrible predicament. God said, that that you love most, that you cherish most, that son that you waited 25 years for? The one that all your hope rested upon for God's promise to be accomplished? I want you to take that son, Isaac, and I want you to go to the mountain of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. I can't begin to understand or to feel even that the predicament that God put him in. Now this, this ask of God made absolutely no sense. It was unlike the God that I know and love to talk about human sacrifice. That was more of the pagan religions that did that. But this was the ask. And I can't stand up here and explain this is why that was the ask. But I think we're going to be able to connect a little bit as we go through this. It is helpful for me to know as I approach difficult passages like this that I look at the, the picture of God from the whole of the text of the Bible. 
because I know about God, that God is a God of love, and God is a God that knows everything, and he's a God that pursues us, and he's a God that wants us to uh, experience the best, even though it might be hard. Um, and when we go into those pain-filled circumstances of life that are confusing and that are frightening, it's good to know, in fact, it's critical, it's vital that we know that that's the God that we serve, that we believe in, that we can lean into. Um, I'm not asking for a response here, but I'm going to ask the question. Are any of you in a situation that is just confusing and frustrating? A situation that makes no sense. A situation that has taken you to the end of yourself. If you're in that place, I need to let you know something that is life-changing. God knows you're in that place. And he cares that you're in your pla that place. And he's loving you from that place. And he's actually even with you in that place. And we see that to be the case here in this story of Abraham and Isaac. It was a hard place. It was a place that really made no sense, but it is a place that God took him to. And you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about some of the names of God, and one of them being El Roy, meaning I am the almighty God that sees you. And we have a God like that. Amen? We have an almighty God that sees us. The, the second thing that amazed me as I read these verses and thought about them more was the nature of Abraham's obedience. So he got this word from God, and then it tells us the very next day, very early on the very next day, he left to do what God had called him to do. I think I'd procrastinate a little bit. Uh, next week, Lord. I don't think it would be the next day, especially not very early the next day. And did you see what he did very early that next day? He went and he cut the wood, all the wood that he'd need for a sacrifice, complete obedience, very early the next day. I find that pretty amazing, especially from a guy like Abraham who wasn't perfect. So for three days, this group, Abraham, Isaac, and the two servants traveled towards a place that God would indicate as being the place of sacrifice. N not once does it say did Abraham turn back but he went on day 
after day, after pain-filled day, not knowing what it was going to look like. It's called faith. Faith, having hope, but not knowing. That's faith. And he lived this life, this walk of faith. Uh, Tim Keller called it obedience in the same direction. So what we see in Abraham is a man that heard God's command and he obeyed even though it was going to cost him greatly. So Abraham was told to go to the land of Moriah and offer a sacrifice of his son on the mountain that he would designate. And as we know more of the story now than he knew then, we know that God had a particular place in mind. This place in which Abraham was sent was more a hill that would later be surrounded by the city of Jerusalem. That's where Mount Moriah is. The hill where the temple would be built eventually. But it's also the same mountain where Jesus was crucified. Same place. I've been to Jerusalem and there's not much difference between from the temple and the place where they think that Jesus was crucified. The place where Jesus would go and take away the sins of the world. That's where Abraham is being sent to sacrifice his son. And if you noticed uh, the description, that wood that was cut for the sacrifice, you remember who carried that wood up the hill? Isaac did. Abraham's only son. Does the story sound a little bit familiar? God's only son, Jesus Christ, would one day carry his own cross up that same hill. Isn't the Bible amazing? I, I, I think, I don't know how you could lose interest in the amazing story narrative of God, making his self known and making his ways known. And, and the way the Old Testament and the New Testament just dovetail is just amazing. And here we see it once again. So Abraham's asked a couple questions in this narrative. And his answers are pretty amazing. Let me read Genesis 22, 5 through 8 once again. It'll be up on the screen. And it's back on the screen on the back wall. And so if I squint my eyes, now I can see it. Okay. <laughs> he said to his servants, stay here with a donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship 
and we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go there. And he says, we will worship and we will come back. You notice he didn't say, I will worship and while I'm worshiping, I'll kill my son. He said, we will worship and we will come back. Um, I don't know precisely what was going on in Abraham's mind at that time. Um, he said he was going to worship. So he knew he was obeying God. He was entering into the presence of God, perhaps unlike he'd ever entered before because he was following through on this act of obedience, this act of sacrifice um, with what he valued most, his son. So I don't think he knew exactly what was going to happen, but I don't think they were empty words. I think he knew he was going to worship, and he said, we, both he and his son, are going to worship. And I don't think it was going to be the meaningless murder of his son. You may remember in Psalm 23, uh, there are these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Now that was written after Abraham. I wonder if Abraham's story was in the mind of the psalmist writing it and David in the, in the mind of the spirit when he was inspiring David to write these words. Be because that is where Abraham was walking. Perhaps he was thinking, if I'm re re required to go this, to this place of death and darkness, God, I won't fear because I know you will be there with me. Therefore, he could say, we're going up to worship. The other staggering statement was he said, we will return. Um, we will go worship. We will return. The expectation of Abraham, therefore, was this. And I did a lot of thinking about this. The expectation of Abraham was this. We will go worship and we will return. That was it. Something mysterious was going to happen to make it possible for them to go worship and then for them to go come back and return. 
perhaps some of you Bible scholars are, are chomping the bit right now and said, I know what Abraham was thinking because it tells me this in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament. So let's go there real quick. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. It says this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, okay, that's what we're talking about. He offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. It's getting exciting. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offerings, uh, offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. So, so here we get some insight of Abraham's thinking. Let's move on a bit. Uh, the exchange of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was probably about 15, we think, right in there. He wasn't a child. He was old enough to carry a load of wood on his back. So he probably was right in there. And Isaac asked his father, Abraham, on the way up the mountain, he said, I see the wood and the fire. They didn't have matches back then. Uh, he had a little ember. He was carrying with him. I, I see the wood and I see the fire, Father. I see all the elements of sacrifice except the lamb. Except the lamb. And Abraham's response to his beloved son Isaac was this. Um, the Lord himself will provide the lamb. And surely, God provided the lamb. I don't know exactly what Abraham thought would happen and how that lamb would be provided. Um, but it was enough that he was obediently making the march up the mountain with wood and with a son. Evidently, it was enough for Isaac to believe his father's word because he didn't take off in the other direction. This is a mystery. Do you ever realize that walking in faith is a mystery? It is. If you think that I'm only going to obey you, God, if I have all the answers before I obey, we're going to be sorely disappointed because that is not faith. Faith is obedience, even when we don't understand. And we have to be comfortable with living in the mystery of faith. I like to be in control. I think we all do, to a certain extent. But the life of faith is a call to give up control. As we sing in that song, I surrender. Surrender is not an easy thing to do. I surrender. 
Do you feel like God is calling you to do something, but you have no means or idea how it could possibly be done? The lesson we learn from Abraham is obey God, walk with God, act in faith, and then watch God provide. This, this question of Isaac's uh, reverberates through the Old Testament. The question is, where is the lamb? Uh, in other words, the question more broadly in the Old Testament is, where is the Messiah? The promised Messiah, the, the prophets, the Messiah the prophets wrote about? And the people waited upon? Where is this Messiah who is going to come and bring us to victory that's going to come and, and pay the penalty for our sin that's going to be the answer to life? It took centuries of waiting before the time was right. Um, well, let's read the rest of the story from Genesis. Um, Genesis 22, 9 through 19. Be up on the screen once again. When they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And right here, my heart starts beating and my nerves start shaking and how and why and, and what Abraham must have been feeling. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. If this was a movie, the, the music would be building what is gonna happen, all the emotions of it. Let's go to the next slide. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. It probably was low in voice, what is this? Here I am, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. And I think it was now you know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Next slide, please. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over and took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. You know that song, the name Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh? There it is. The Lord will provide, and to, do, to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Next slide. The angel of the Lord called to Abram, Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. And by the way, I think the angel of the Lord, that voice, 
was not an angel that God sent to speak. I, I believe it was God. Because it says he, he said it by his, swear by myself, declares the Lord. That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, go ahead. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Abraham was committed to obedience. The angel of the Lord, as the, the knife was up, called his name twice. Abraham found out he wasn't up there alone. God was there. God knew. God cared. God provided. He turned around. He, he saw the ram that had been provided. God had broken through to meet his need. And he gave him provision. As I said, I think this was the test for Abraham to know his own heart. Because in Genesis 22, 12, I'll put that up on the screen, please. Genesis 22, 12, and there, okay. It's not the next slide. Guess what? Whoever put those slides in really messed up. Okay, <laughs> that's why I have my own Bible here. Genesis 22, 12 says, do not lay a hand. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your son, your, your only son. What would it feel like to hear from God the state of your heart? I think God wants to tell us that. If we spend enough time to stop and to listen. In the midst of a test, instead of trying to avoid the test, to ask God, in the midst of this, you probably have something that I need to hear. Abraham heard that he feared God. And secondly, in the 18th verse, it said, all the nations will be blessed through you because you obeyed me. God said, I not only know your heart and you need to know your heart, but you are going to be the channel where I bless others. And I think that's something we need to hear too. That our faith is not in vain, our obedience is not in vain, 
that God wants to use us when life is easy and when life is hard. He wants to use us. So why did God test Abraham with such an extreme test? Well, I think Abraham needed to know his heart. Uh, you might be wondering, well, I thought God, if God really loves me, he's going to make life easy for me, a life of ease. And then I'll really be able to serve God. You know that? What? That historically hasn't been true. Throughout church history, the church flourishes most in the midst of hardship. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's the truth. The, the church flourishes most in the midst of hardship. The first 300 years after Jesus rose again and the young church was starting and it was illegal to be part of this young church and there was, were martyrs and they were persecuted, do you know what? The church exploded. First 300 years. Then after 300 years, the Roman emperor became a Christian and he says, I declare that everybody needs to be a Christian. And do you know what happened to the church? It went from this to this to this. Yeah. The, the church in China has flourished most under hardship. And I, I talked to some Chinese brothers, and they said, yes, we are praying for hardship for the church in the West because we think that would be best for you. The same thing happened to the church in Vietnam. Well, about four years ago, COVID popped up. I thought, oh God, is this our test? Is this our chance of the church to rise up and to reflect you to the world at large and make a difference for you. Well, to be really honest with you, I think we failed the test. Because when times got tough for everybody, it seems to me that, I'm not saying everybody or all church, but the perception of the, the population outside the church. And again, this isn't, well, I think this is the majority of you, is that they saw in the church more division and more self-protection a more political and social divide then they saw a church leaning into the embrace of Jesus and then serving and loving others. That's just the plain truth from my perspective. We were tested. We didn't do too good on the test. 
may God, may we learn from our mistakes and may we live in such a way that we'd pass the next test. Amen? So uh, let's consider this story of Abraham along this story, alongside the story of Jesus. Because centuries later, the, the same drama on the same mountain and the same scenario was played out. Only this time, it was at a bigger level. God the Father. God the Father. No one less than Yahweh, God the Father, was faced with a decision of sacrificing his one and only son on the cross. The Lord had invited Abraham into his own story, and now the father was faced with the sacrifice of his one and only son. In fact, it's even more than that, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit being in this perfect union for all eternity, and then Jesus taking upon himself a body, being tempted in every way as humans are, yet without sin. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, denying its shame, and he paid the penalty for my and your sin on the cross. And this is, this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And the, the first day of the 40-day the Lenten period, where we're called historically in the church to prepare ourselves to more fully enter into Jesus' act of sacrifice and, and resurrection. We glamorize the story of, of Jesus, but sometimes we don't spend enough time thinking about the sacrifice and the cost. And it was significant. And it is significant. And we are the benefactors. I don't know all your story. But the name the mountain of the mountain that Abraham gave the mountain, the name that Abraham gave the mountain, there you go. It was Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. It wasn't the Lord has provided, but the Lord will provide. He provided for Abraham. He provided for all humankind with Jesus' death on the cross. He is providing for us. Everything we need for life and godliness, it tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1. And he will continue to provide for us into all eternity. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide. But he asks us, to take that step of obedience. 
He asks us to recognize our own flaw, our own sin, our own need. And he calls us to surrender. To surrender. And receive what only he can give. And be saved. Our sins forgiven and the Holy Spirit then comes and takes residence in the very depths of who we are. And from that place, he empowers us to live as he calls us to live. Obedience in the same direction. Surprise test. Because of Jesus, I don't have to fail that surprise test. I can live victoriously into it. And on the way, along the way, more fully understand the nature of God, the sacrifice he calls for me, and the empowerment to live that out. May we... May we, God, would you bless us, may we walk in obedience as you show yourself to us more fully and more wonderfully. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, and that is our prayer. And as we now come into a time of reflection, as we sing, my prayer is that you would uh, use these next minutes to help us more fully understand what surrender means in our lives. And then would you give us the courage, the boldness, the love of you, and love of ourselves even to say yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here is where.